0: You know a few years ago i was doing a movie called jack and the beanstalk where i spent a month walking around in a gigantic smelly uh, goose outfit because i have a lot of self-respect <laughs> but it had a great cast it had like christopher lloyd katie seagal wallace sean uh, chevy chase chloe grace moretz uh, amazing group of people and one of the people I met there and I'll be talking about it later I'll go into detail was a, an actor named James Karen who I didn't know by name but I saw him and did that take of oh that guy and before we were doing uh, Frank and I were getting ready to do this podcast. We decided to brush up a little on it, and it's shocking the amount of movies, TV shows, and commercials he's worked on, and a ridiculous amount of stars that he's worked with. Uh, So we'll be talking to the actor James Caron. Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host Frank Santopadre. Our guest this week is a veteran character actor who began his career in the 1940s and hasn't worked hasn't worked since. <laughs> oh, God, take two. I'm hanging up right now. <laughs>
1: You leave out a word like "stop." Yeah, you guessed I, it. Yeah. I was Frank. Gonna- would you, I, Frank? I, I don't know you well enough to <laughs> ask you to interrupt, but interrupt him and tell him stop. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it's written on the card, James. I assure okay. you. Thank you. Frank. Okay, we'll do it again.
0: Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. Our guest this week is a veteran character actor who began his career in the 1940s and hasn't stopped working since. He's been in over 80 films, including The China Syndrome, All the President's Men, Poltergeist, Nixon, Wall Street, and The Pursuit of Happiness, and over a 100 TV shows, including Hawaii 5 The Rockford Files, M.A.S.H., Dallas, Cheers, Family Ties, Seinfeld, and American Dad. And along the way, he's worked with everyone from Marlon Brando to Will Smith to the Three Stooges. He's also found time to appear in a record-breaking 5,000 television commercials. I'm exhausted from just listening all of it. Please welcome my pal, James Karen. Hello, Frank. <laughs> Hi, James. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's snubbing him already. <laughs> welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Uh, he left out the most important person in my life. Yes. Buster Keaton. Oh,
0: yes. I, I was gonna get to that. Oh, okay. I'll wait. Forget yeah. it. Strike yeah. that. Yeah, Strike no, that. no, no. I don't care. <laughs> you get, you're getting on my nerves already. <laughs> okay. My first question: Are, yes. you, are you dead? <laughs> oh, still? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm.
1: I'm really not dead. I'm. We feed our doggy Thrive. Oh, he's very much alive. Oh, full of vim and vig. <laughs> Are any of you boys old enough to remember that?
0: It sounds familiar. Now did you do that commercial or t- you just remember it.
1: Just remember it.
0: Yes. Okay. It, was, it was just one it was one of my
1: favorites because I don't know it should show a dead dog. <laughs> <laughs> the dog just rolls over.
0: Okay. Since you brought up his name. Uh, tell us about legendary silent-screen comedian Buster Keaton.
1: Well, uh, you know, uh, I started going to movies very early. First of all, I was, I, was, I was young, but I started to read very early in my life. And my father, who had gone to work when he was six years old, never learned to read or write. And this was a problem for him, going to silent movies. So he began to take me to silent movies to read the subtitles. And uh, I saw all these great movies really before I should have been seeing them. I was fortunate to see Cheek Keaton, Chaplin Lloyd, all those great people in, in silent movies. And... Keaton was my favorite. He was my idol. I used to go around imitating him, just walking into a room with my hands clasped in front of my face, with absolutely no expression on my face. My father would say, get that goddamn stone face out of here. I don't know why you do that. (laughs) So, I just loved Keaton's work. And I've I I I really didn't understand all his problems in the early '30s, but I still liked I, I still liked the movies he was doing in the, the the five movies that he did in uh, at uh, MGM, which he did not, of course. So I'd heard that, and he you know he worked every day of his life. He he was born in 1895 into a vaudeville family, and he worked from the time he was three years old.
2: And tell, tell us how he got the name Buster, James, for our, for our listeners who don't know.
1: Because uh, he, he was a baby, really, at two years old. And they were fa- the family was in, they were in a boarding house. They were with a medicine show. And I hope someone will explain to the young people what a medicine show was. And traveling. And Harry Houdini was in the show doing his magic act. And they sold medicine, phony medicine, in between the acts of the show. There was always a fake doctor there. But at any rate, a Buster started down a flight of stairs and fell down the stairs, a long flight, banging, rolling, falling, over head over tail. And when he got to the bottom of the stairway, picked himself up and walked into the dining room. And Houdini looked at him and said, boy, that kid is some buster. And that's how he got his name. His name was Joseph Francis Keaton, the same as his father, Joe Keaton. And until then, he was called Joe Jr. But the name stuck with him, and the family, family liked it, and that became Buster's name in vaudeville. And he was very, very successful in the family. He really was the star of the family act. It was a rough act. The father was a very rough performer who drank. And Buster was often thrown. And when he got boisterous or bothered the father on stage in the act, the old man would pick him up and throw him into the wings or against the back drop. And when the old man was really drunk, he threw him into the audience. Wow. And Buster had a little a suitcase handle sewn into the back of his shirt. His coat, rather, his little coat. He wore grown-ups' clothing. He wore the same makeup as, as his father, a beard and a derby hat. He carried a cigar when he was five years old. And the old man would just pick him up by the the handle and throw him. And can, so- I say, can I say rude words? Sure. Okay. Of course. Because Buster said... The old man wasn't too bad, though. When he was going to throw me into an audience, he'd say, "Tighten up your asshole, bus."
2: <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh man, unbelievable! And so he—he he was your childhood idol, and then you got to meet him and work with him and befriend him.
1: Well, yes, uh, he befriended me. I was the most fortunate one. Uh, I had—I was producing in Summer Stock in the fifties, uh, and Summer Stock. Then was a big thing. they had star packages. A company would go out to, there were maybe there are maybe twenty big stock companies you know in, the, in the, uh, up in Westport uh, the Cape, all through Pennsylvania, New England, and they would have a star would have a company and would travel with the company and go from one theater to another uh, uh during the summer. And uh, they would usually send an advanced person, like an advanced stage manager, who would go to the next company, the next theater where they were playing, and have them line up the, 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 you know, the scenery, and if they had to pick up a couple of other people, small parts, he would he would rehearse them, mm-hmm. so that you went in, the star and his company of five or six people would come in, on sunday rehearse sunday night and open on monday so they wouldn't miss a a, a week's pay it worked very well and uh what there was a stock company managers the managers of these theaters would have meetings early in uh, oh maybe march and people like me would go to them and say what do you think of doing this or that uh uh, i've got um, how would, would would it be in, would, it, would you be interested in in uh, celeste home this summer or would you be interested in some other these were people who had broadway shows uh still pretty good pretty good names mm-hmm. and uh i'd heard that buster uh was looking for work as always he never stopped working everybody thought he was uh dead right. he wasn't he was working at uh, the Cirque Madrone in Paris, and he worked there for on and off for years, uh, doing his act. You know, he was really not doing. He did. He he'd had a bad fallout in Hollywood. I don't want to go into it. It's just so complicated and so painful because of MGM, and they ruined him. He went there in 1929 as one of the most famous people in the world, Chaplin, Buster. Uh, and and Lloyd were the three most famous people in the world, and uh, five years later he was unemployable. They didn't know how to use him, and they didn't know how to work with him. So what happened was, I I heard that he was, uh, you know, still working and and everything. So I uh, I went before the uh, committee and said, would you guys be interested in in uh, using Buster Keaton and. A lot of them said, yeah, yeah, it would be wonderful if you could get a right play for him and stuff. So I said, well, let me check. So I knew a guy named Rudy Blesch. I I, I called Buster. I I said to Blesch, can I have Buster's telephone number? I I really would like to get in touch with him. He said, well, he said, no. He said it wouldn't be right for me to give you his phone number. And I said, Rudy, you owe me $350. Uh, Give me a phone number and I'll absolve the debt. And he said, oh, sure.
3: <laughs> so I,
1: <laughs> I called Buster. I called Buster and said, would you like to be in a play? Yeah. Uh, I said, well, um, is there any play you'd like to? Do? Yeah. What would you like to do? I'd like to do Merton of the movies. I said, let me read it. So we read it. And he said, how'd you get in touch with me? I said, uh, well, I paid Rudy Bless $350 to get your number. He said, hey, should have looked in the phone book. I'm in the phone book, which he was always. He never never was out of the phone book in Los Angeles. He always wanted to be reached.
0: Now, I, I know you said you didn't want to talk about it, but that made me more fascinated. What were some of the things uh, between MGM and Buster Keaton?
1: Well... If anybody wants to, they can look at a documentary I did for Turner Classic Movies. It's called "So Funny It Hurts."
0: Okay. Now, now, then you you moved when when you finally got into films. uh it was it was through a, a classic film you were lucky enough to do. Can you tell us? It was in time?
1: New York. I I I'd, I I'd, 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 I never went out to California. But I went out a couple of times, did things. I went out with with Buster, and I used to go out and we we'd do things at NBC, uh, old routines and. Uh, but I would always come back. I never felt comfortable yeah. in Los Angeles. I never could get centered.
0: I I remember I went over to your house. And you have a tradition. Let you in my house? Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> I must <have> been <laughs> So I went into your house, and you have a tradition of, like, I don't know if it's all your guests or just celebrity guests, to have their picture taken wearing Buster Keaton's hat.
1: It was the last hat he wore in a movie that I did with him. The Beckett, Sam Beckett wrote a movie script. And we did it uh, under the Brooklyn Bridge in the summer of 1964. And uh, I was putting Buster on the plane. And he said, I said something about, I want. can I have one of your hats someday? And I, I remember he was telling you know, those days you walked out on the tarmac with people. And uh, he was up in the and he said, hey, I forgot. And he pulled a hat out from under his coat and Sailed it like a, like a boomerang. <laughs> and and uh, yes, that's the hat I have. It's the hat he wore in the picture.
0: Who, who has worn that hat at your house? Besides Gilbert. Yeah, besides me.
1: Well, uh, a girl named Mary Smith. And then there was a, a carpenter who came in. And- <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, tell us the name of your first film.
1: Frankenstein meets the space monster. Have't you seen it?
0: <laughs> it's a classic I, I did
1: <laughs> Well, my wife has never seen it all. She's tried for years to see it. She gets through the second reel and start goes to sleep. but actually it's a it's a classic, cheap horror science fiction film shot in nineteen sixty four in Puerto Rico for $67,000, it was produced by a guy who had passion pits, outdoor movie theaters up in New England, and he needed stuff to fill it.
0: Now, now produced- that, that's a funny term you use in calling, passion pit. Yeah, passion pitch. That's what we always called them when I was growing up. Because that's, that's... That's a drive-in theater? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was used for, uh, for... The last reason people went to those was to watch the movie.
1: Well, I don't know about that. I, it it <laughs> depended what position you took.
0: <laughs> we should point out, James, though, that
2: before you did Frankenstein Meets the Space Monster, which was your first film, you were a Broadway actor. You were a stage actor. Oh yes, and before oh,
1: th- before before yes, th- I was I was of the theater.
2: <laughs> Is it? This, go back to the beginning for a second. Is it true that you were you were convinced to go into acting by a U.S. congressman?
1: Well, he was then the head of the Wilkes-Barre Little Theater, Dan Flood, a wonderful, wonderful man. Had mm-hmm. been an actor, and he had a lifetime membership in Equity Actors Equity Association, which he was very proud of, and he. Uh, uh, he did a lot of stock those days. Every every city had a stock company across the country. And uh, he did a lot of stock and stuff. And I, I think he was an ambitious man. And he didn't see himself making a lot of money in what he was doing. Uh, although he was a wonderful actor. And he went to law school. He may have gone to law school before he became an actor. I don't know. But somehow he became a well-known lawyer in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania where I'm from. And uh he uh, he later of course ran for Congress. Mm-hmm. I think I think he he was in Congress 32 years. Something like that, yeah. He was a very powerful ha- head of the uh, armed forces financing committee or something like that. I mean everybody was kissing his butt. And he was a nice nice gentleman uh Whenever I played Washington, he and his wife Catherine would have a party for the cast opening night. It was a lovely thing.
2: And he saw something in you and and and, and urged you to to uh, to go into it wasn't, acting.
1: Wasn't that I had a Boy Scout uniform. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, the 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 uh, the school the 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 theater. I was on on my way home. I had to pass the Wilkes-Barre Little Theater, which was a wonderful theater group, really good actors. Uh, And uh, I was walking home from school. I was about 12 or 13 years old. And I see this guy leaned out the window, this beautiful building. And he said, Hey, you kid. I said, yes. He said, "Uh, are you a boy scout? I said, yes, sir. He said, you got a boy scout uniform? I said, yes, sir. He said, you want to be in a play? (laughs) <laughs> I said, yes, sir, I would like to. A
3: little disturbing. I said,
1: go home and tell you, ask your parents if it's okay for you to be in a play. <laughs> Dan, Dan Flood wants you in a play. The play was uh, 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 um, front page. Mm-hmm. And in the front page, as most people know, I don't know whether... <laughs> I don't know whether you will know, Gilbert, but because you're not too well educated. <laughs> the play, Front Page, they 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 capture Hildy Johnson, the reporter, captures a killer who's escaped, and he puts him in his he's in he's in the uh, a prison. It's, it's the night the guy's going to be executed, so they have a press room. So he finds the guy, puts him. In, Puts him in the roll top desk. Roll top
2: desk. Yeah, sure. Yes.
1: And then he he they call a a, a gangster Diamond Louie, and say Louie, go out and get a strong arm guard. We got to move this death to the 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 the, the uh, newspaper office. So Diamond Louie comes back about about two pages later in the script and says, uh, and he walks in and he says. This is all I can find, and he's got a Boy Scout. It's a big laugh. Yeah. So uh, I got the laugh, and I was hooked. Hooked for life.
0: So just that uniform got you a career in showbiz. I
1: have that and a great deal of talent, Gilbert.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast after this. Now, getting, getting to another Maybe less than classic. Uh, Frankenstein. Uh, no, that we already spoke about. Hercules in New York.
1: You promised you would never mention that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember about that one, James? With Schwarzenegger? Oh, that was a lot of
1: fun. Yeah, and Arnold Stang. Two oh, Arnold. Arnold Stang, and don't forget Arnold Strong. That's right, Arnold Strong. You know who Arnold Strong of was. Of course. That drove Arnold Stang crazy. How could they do that? <laughs> like you, Gilbert. <laughs> How could they do that? They, they, they changed his name from Schwarzenegger to Strong, and it looks like Arnold Stang, and he's got billing over me. Arnold Strong and Arnold Stang. Oh.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> what, what was the deal with that? It was that Schwarzenegger couldn't speak any English, and they they, oh, they, did, they looped he, him.
1: Oh, no, actually, they they made a mistake. Uh, they they've now released it. Uh-huh. The picture gets released every so often, along with uh, Frankenstein meets the Space Monsters. Those are two of my biggies. <laughs> <laughs> they they uh, they uh, they thought that his language could not be understood, and they got somebody else to to do his voice and it came out and it wasn't very good. But when they put his voice back on, it worked better.
0: It it's funny. Uh when when I saw the movie, it sounded like a Godzilla film. You know <laughs> it's bad like, dubbing? Yeah. Like I am Hercules
1: <laughs> I think you must have seen it with the uh with the with a dub version.
0: Oh yes, yes. It was so obviously not coming out of his mouth yet. yeah 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 and now now jumping ahead to another one just recently i did an episode of anger management with charlie sheen and you worked with charlie sheen in wall street and you love told
1: charlie i love charlie
0: i i like him very much too and um tell tell me the story you told me about charlie sheen
1: uh about about his uh, his habit? Oh yes,
0: <laughs> one of many.
1: Well, Charlie was Charlie was a great gentleman, uh, and he was he was he had very respectful of me, and he would I'd be in his dressing room, we'd be rehearsing lines or something, or he'd come come to my dressing room to rehearse lines, and he'd always say, "Mr. Karen, uh, w- would you would you like to have a line of coke?" I say, no, 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 Charlie, I don't do it. Well, Mr. Karen, w- would you object if I took a line of Coke? <laughs> <laughs> he was always very gentlemanly about it, but I thought he was wonderful in it. In did, Wall Street, yeah.
0: Did Did he ever offer you a hooker?
1: <laughs> Nobody ever had to offer me a hooker. <laughs> I... I was always good hooker, liner, and sinker. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, uh, uh, did he offer you one, Gilbert? No,
0: no. I was very. Well, then pissed why off. are you
1: asking me? I mean, you're making me the you're making me the slob. No,
0: I was just I was just hoping someone else was he wasn't treating someone else nicer than me. <laughs> <laughs> no, and when you mention hooker, liner, and sinker. It's, that was a Robert Woolsey. Wheeler and Woolsey. Wheeler and the Woolsey. There you go. There's a reference. Now, now see, it, it sounded to me like, and I'm sure they must have used it too, or at least in a, a sign in a movie. And that's, of course, our favorites, the Three Stooges. You worked with the Three Stooges.
1: They're, they're favorites of mine. They were lovely men. The three of them were just, I worked. I, uh, the original Curly Joe was gone. I worked with uh, Joe Dorita.
0: Oh yeah, no, it was ooh, the original ooh. Curly Howard. Was yeah, it was Curly Howard, then Shemp, then Joe Bessa, and then they the called Les. him Curly Joe. Yeah, Curly yeah, yeah, Joe Dorita.
1: Well, no, they called Curly Howard Curly Joe too. They did. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Do okay. you want to look that up or do you want to, would you like, would you like some, uh, some
0: time out? Yeah, yeah. I'll... <laughs> we got anyway, our staff on that. Anyway, so, but you worked with them and yet yeah, tell us that experience, like, cause people. Well, they, that...
1: I was on a, I was in a Broadway show and, uh, the show closed and I was going into another one immediately. Uh, uh one was a Pinter play. I uh, called. Uh, uh, God, I can't remember the name of a Marvelous Play Birthday Party. You know, I'm I'm 91 years old, so don't expect me to come up with all these. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so the birthday party closed, and Albie, whom I had worked for a lot, I did a lot of work, a lot of all these plays, was replacing somebody in Everything in the Garden, and he said. We're going to replace him in, in, in two weeks. Uh, we want to do it. And I said, well, I've got an offer to go out and work with the Three Stooges. And he said, how long? And I said, a week. He said, do it, come back, and we'll get you into the show. So I flew to Sausalito. It was for an insurance company. I don't want to mention their name here because they never paid me well. <laughs> Uh, but but uh, it was a big insurance company. I just can't think of their name. It's uh, many years later. This was 1967. So I flew out to Sausalito, and I go on the set in the morning. It was on a hill overlooking the water, and the idea was that I was selling Metropolitan Life Insurance a metropolitan home insurance to a man and a woman who had moved into this house and there was work being done by the three stooges on the house. (laughs) So the guy's trying to keep me out of the door. No, no, I don't need insurance. And they're working away. So that's the beginning. So I come on the set and they're sitting there in their chairs and I hear Aha Here comes Mr Broadway. Hey, Mr Broadway, come over and sit down. <laughs> it was Mo. Uh and I walked over. He said, This is Larry and this is this is Joe Dorita. He plays Curly Joe now. And I'm I'm very very nice, lovely. And uh we shot for a, almost a week there. And he said uh, You know, he says, Mr. Broadway. You know, he says, the greatest year of my life. I said, No. 1936. I said, Really? 1936. How come? What happened that year? He said, I seen two Hamlets in 36. (laughs) That's Howard, and I seen Johnny Gilgood. They both was doing the Hamlet that year. (laughs) He was an absolute nut on Shakespeare.
2: Wow, Mo Howard, this is.
0: Or, or Larry Fudd. Yeah, yeah, Moe. Yeah, Mo. Well, Moe. Mo. Mo. Yeah. Mo was a Shakespeare. Fascinating. Wow. <laughs> that and I didn't know. He
1: knew, he knew, he'd say, start something. And I'd say, our rebels now are ended. He'd say, these are our actors, is all kind of gone into this <laughs> thin air. And like the bakeland fabric of this vision, the cloud capped towers, the gorgeous palaces itself, all which it inherits shall destroy. He knew all the great speeches.
0: So you know, it's a, it's amazing <sighs> wow. that they never had Mo do that on. Isn't any that amazing? The variety shows. Yeah, yeah. The crowd would have gone nuts. You know,
1: he told me the story of how he, they loved each other. By the way, they had worked together for forty-two years at that point, and they just loved each other. Mo would pull a hammer back, and he'd say. Larry, darling, I'm pulling the hammer back. And, you know. So everything, they they, they warned each other all the time of what they were going to do. Uh, He said to me, I said, you've been working together 42 years. He said, well, yeah. He said, I was working with my brother first for Ted Healy. It was Ted Healy and the two stooges. Or Ted Healy and his stooges. Right. And they were standing in the wings one night, waiting to go on, and they, those days they'd have a curtain in the front to mask the changes in the scenery behind the curtain and, uh, you know, between acts. And so the curtain was down, and to cover the time, they had, Larry was out there playing the violin. He was a very serious violinist, and hope to be in Carnegie Hall someday. And Ted Healy, who was a, a a wild man, was watching, and he said, look at that son of a bitch. He thinks he's so good. Look at him, he thinks he's great. He said to the two other the other two, the two stooges, he said, go out and turn him upside down and bang his head on the floor. And they ran out, they turned him upside down, began to bang his head on the floor, and he continued to play. Side down he's sawing away at the violin the audience is falling
0: apart
1: and he said jesus so came they came off stage and he turns to larry and he says uh, how much you making a week larry said 45 he said do you want to be a stooge i'll pay you 75 larry said sure <laughs> and that's how he got in the act. That's
3: great!
2: <laughs> From Edward Albee to Joe Di that's that's range, James.
1: Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> Edward's my favorite playwright. He's a marvelous man, and he's just—I didn't. Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf? And it's just my favorite play of all times.
2: And you did? You did twenty Broadway productions? Do I have that right? Over twenty?
1: Uh, I don't know how many, but a lot of them. And you? you... I was in a lot of flops for a while and I once had a bad year and <clears throat> I was on 45th Street I played the Booth the Plymouth the Golden and one other theater on 45th and each one was a flop it lasted about two weeks and I'd walk into the theater and the stagehands would cry out no no <laughs> No, get him out of here. <laughs> I just, I just had bad luck one year, now, but um, Albie is, is just—he's uh, just—he—he directed. I, I, I've done plays of, of his that he directed, and he's just a great, great
0: playwright and a great director. And still with us now. Now I remember uh, you telling me when you did any given Sunday. Yes. Um, well, you. Uh, Cameron Diaz. Loved her. Yes. Now, can you tell, tell us the story you told me? No.
1: <laughs> no, you're cheap, you're crass, vulgar, and vaudevillian. Yes. <laughs> and and I think you ought to just watch yourself, because somebody's going to knock you off.
0: <laughs> One can hope, James. Can I tell the it's- Cameron Diaz story? <laughs> You're Going back to that, yes.
1: Leave Cameron out of this. She's,
0: I don't. She is.
1: I don't want her name on your lips, even. She's
0: How about way Cameron out of Mitchell? your class, Gilbert. <laughs> but now you had a chain of very successful commercials. Where yes. y- you were the spokesman.
1: Well, I was very lucky. I was in a play with Barry Nelson called Goodbye Again, a play in the play. I'm a drunk who at one point says, I am a Republican. I have always been a Republican. My father before me was a Republican, and I will always vote for the Republican Party. I think I read it better those days than I did just now.
3: <laughs>
1: and one night a guy came backstage with his wife and he said, forgive us for interrupting you. He's in the dressing room. He asked to see me and they sent him up. And, uh, he said, uh, my wife and I have a bet. Are you a Republican? I said, no, I am not a Republican. I, n- I never will be. And he turned to his wife and he said, uh-huh. He said, you see, you lost the bet. And he turns to me and he said, I'm starting a supermarket chain and I need a spokesman. And if you can convince your wife, my wife, you're a Republican, I want you for my spokesman. It turned out to be a 27-year 20, job from 19... Sixty-nine until nineteen ninety-seven. Is that sixty-nine? Er, Twenty-nine years. Yeah, something like that. Pathmark, right? Did we say Pathmark Supermarkets? Pathmark Supermarkets. They were wonderful to work for. We had a glorious time. They were generous. It uh, it certainly uh, rescued my miserable life in flops.
0: Now. But you also got in trouble with them. They yeah. were a little, yeah. Can you tell us Well, about they had that? every right to?
1: I mean, it was a, uh, it wasn't them. What happened was, I was on. Uh, uh, I got a call to do a Jeffersons, and it was uh, an idea that uh, uh, Norman Lear had uh, that it wasn't just rednecks who are. Who are haters? That there's a lot of white collar hate, and it was in the apartment building where where uh, Jefferson lived, and I was a a, 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 an owner of the co-op owner, and I was incensed that we had a black person in the building, and a lovely man. I was a lovely man, do my wife, I did never kick the dog or anything. And charming man. But he ran a little cell to get and he had a meeting, a Klu Klux Klan meeting. And in the meeting I'm yelling at Jefferson, You're in the wrong meeting. This is about you and I suddenly have a heart attack, keel over, and I'm down. And nobody knows how to do CPR except except Jefferson. I never saw this episode of the Jefferson.
0: I, I saw it's this great. one.
1: And yeah. he leans over and starts kissing, giving me the kiss, you know, the breath sure. the breath thing. Uh, CPR. Mouth-to-mouth? Mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, CPR. And he pulls me back, and I come, I come out of it, and I'm on the stretcher. They're hauling me out, and my son turns to me and says, points to Jefferson, Sherman, Helmsley, and he says, "There's the man who saved your life." And I look at him and I say, "You should have let me die." And I mean, it was a shocking thing, shocking, and people were really incensed that Mister Pathmark would say. <laughs> And a lot of our black employees were upset. So, uh, Sherman and, and, uh, played Mrs. Helmsley. Oh, uh,
2: Isabel Sanford.
1: Isabel, wonderful woman. They posed for pictures with me, holding, hugging me and everything. And for the newspapers and, and also for the advertising age papers, uh, and got me out of the trouble.
0: I remember that episode. I think in the beginning of it, uh, Sherman Helmsley gets mugged, and so he's very concerned with crime in the neighborhood. And when he goes I, to this meeting, that's and, right. And you're yelling, "We have to get rid of these undesirables." He's going, "That's right." <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we're not safe among these these people who are coming into our area. And he goes, I'm behind you. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it
1: was interesting. On the curtain call, the audience was, a, was largely black. Uh, it was done in front of an audience, three-camera show. And they began to boo and scream at me. and And again chairman and and uh wasn't that awful i can't remember her name isabel isabel sanford i knew her well I, I'm, I'm blanking uh maybe i'll just stop drinking <laughs> i'm drinking jameson irish whiskey maybe they'll send me a case
0: <laughs> good luck <laughs> so
1: so uh, they um uh, they 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 came out and uh because I, I had to be escorted out of the theater. Wow, by them.
0: But you know, I'll tell you something, and I and I hate to say something nice to you, James. Yeah, uh, this this shows what a fine actor you really are. Well, that- no,
1: I I just wanted my paycheck. You know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let me back it up a minute. Pathmark had a problem with this episode because you were playing a racist.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and oh, sure. <laughs> we had another problem uh, when I, when I, when I uh, destroyed Little House on the Prairie. Oh, when you were the
2: land baron.
1: That's yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know what that was about? That was interesting. Um, he was one of the great guys I've ever worked with, by the way. Michael Landon was just a wonder to be with. Uh, and he was a great director. He hardly ever said anything to you unless you were really on the, on the downside. And he'd just come over and say, you know what, forget about what you're doing. Try, try something like this or give you something. He was wonderful. But he was incensed after eight years of this great success, a grateful management, NBC, Decided that the show was running uh, was starting to run down, and they were going to, they were working up a new show that would work, a Western, that would work in his sets. The sets were up in Simi Valley. It was just a wonder, he, they built the town there. Yeah, Walnut Grove. Walnut Grove. And uh, so he was really hurt. And he said, you know, I can't stand the idea of other, another family of people living in my, in my town. Well, he had the right, when the show ended, to do a two-hour movie for the last show. And so he wrote a show in which a, a land baron comes in. He's bought up the town, the land. And he has a town meeting and he says, I just want you to know that everything is going to be the same, except that you work for me now. And the town has another meeting and they decide, no, no, they're going to move on to other land and they're going to destroy the town. And he spent a week blowing up all the buildings in that town. It was just wonderful, just wonderful. NBC couldn't stop him.
2: You've been in some controversial TV shows, James. You were also in the the, the infamous Seinfeld episode, the one episode that is not in the syndication package.
1: Oh, yes, it is. I get a check for it all the time. Do you? (laughs) Yeah, sure. The Puerto Rican Day they, Parade
2: episode. They
0: said oh, yeah. that, they said they would never rerun we were that. Told, one
1: again. We were told that we got some
2: bad information again. We were told that it's it's not in the syndication package because maybe not in the states, maybe it is uh, internationally.
0: I don't know, but I got a check regularly. Oh, good for you. Oh, not and and before much. they've honed it down.
1: The check, you mean? Well, you know it is rarely. Over the years, and stuff goes down.
0: I, oh, sure. That's the funny thing about residuals. Everyone thinks it's so magical, and I get—I have a residual check hanging in my bathroom that I framed for a penny. That and, much, huh? Yeah, and what did you get it for? <laughs> what, was, what, was, what, was, what
2: was the what was the job that got you a penny residual I, check?
0: I I I did a voice in a in the classic film. Uh mom and dad save the earth. Oh,
2: the, oh, the John Lovitz, yeah. uh, Terry Garthing. Yeah,
0: yes. And I don't even know if they use the voice, but uh and uh, so I have it in a frame with a uh, Chinese fortune that says, "Your talents will be recognized and suitably rewarded."
1: Oh, that's great.
0: <laughs> that's now,
1: great. I, I should do. I've got one zero. No money. (laughs) The agent said, "What can you take as an agent's fee from from nothing?"
0: Now I and now let's talk before I forget of where we met.
1: We Uh, met in a smoky, a smoky (laughs) set. We met on uh, a movie called Jack and the Beanstalk, uh, produced by a very very nice man. And uh, do you remember?
0: Uh, you, yes.
1: you were. You were. I think you were talking.
0: I was a giant uh, goose. I was walking <laughs> around goose. literally in a goose outfit. Yeah, I whole- was really
1: embarrassed for you. I didn't know you too well. For- <laughs> now that I know you well, I'm not embarrassed at all. It's exactly, the, exactly the right thing for, for you. For a
0: month, I was walking around this goose outfit, waddling around in it. And I used to have these two uh, wardrobe girls who would put the outfit on me because it was impossible to pull the legs and every. But the director I was talking to, and he said he knew I was a movie and TV buff, and he said, "Then we've got an actor here. You're gonna you're gonna get along with him because he's known everyone." And the funny thing is when they said. James, James Karen, James Cagney, James Cagney. (laughs) They couldn't get James Cagney. So they got you. So when they said James Karen at, at first the name, it was one of those, you're one of those classic, Oh, that guy actors.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Because I didn't get the name. And the minute you walked in the door, I, that's, that was the words. I went, Oh, that guy.
1: And never spoke to me again. Yes. But
0: you're one of those actors that, you know, We uh, Frank and I were at a party yesterday, and we mentioned your name, and people were going, oh, I don't know. And then we'd uh, find your name on the phone and show a picture, and they'd they all go, oh, him.
2: Everybody at the party immediately recognized your face. Even these days? Yes. Absolutely. Everybody there. Oh, and that, oh that
0: guy. And what what's funny, and and this is also a testament to your acting, is that so many of the movies that when I was looking up what you've done, I said I saw that, and I don't remember him being in it. And it's because you just were that character,
1: or that I got cut down and cut down by some goddamn <laughs> director. <laughs> so little left that I'm just, you know, I'm, 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 I'm cutting room, I'm cutting room floor. Uh, I'm uh, the face on the cutting room floor.
0: Oh, and before I forget. Sad, very sad. Tell, tell me the Clark Gable story. Oh, there's a great story about Gable. Yes. And an agent. It
1: was when Gable, uh, Gable went. At, after after he'd come out in, as Rhett Butler in 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 the Great Southern Picture,
0: Gone with the Wind,
1: written by Margaret Mitchell, Gone with the Wind, he was just you know he was the hottest item. I think he was the hottest item in in, in the world as an actor. And uh, <clears throat> he the story is that he called Abe LazsFogel and William Morris.
2: That's a famous and he name. An
1: appointment and Lass Fogel said, Anytime, come in anytime. You don't need an appointment. Just walk in. Come in. So he comes in, sits down with Vogel, and he's talking to Last Fogel, and he says, I I want you to know how much I admire you, Mr. Vogel. I know a lot of the people that you represent. And he said, I'm not happy with my representation. And I'm wondering if you would take me on, Mr. Larsfogel. Vogel." this fellow party of Gable said I would be honored 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 to 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 represent you of course I would I'm happy well anything will do anything for you yes please come with us with William Morris office Abe hey, but I Bass Lasfogel, will will watch every second of your your career Gable stood up and said that's fine Mr Vogel.' he said uh, uh, I just want you to know one thing. I don't believe in paying 10% to an agent. And that's, ah, here comes it. Gable said, I believe that an agent works harder for an actor if he gets 20%. Is that okay? laswell said, well, <laughs> if you insist, Mr. Gable, yes. <laughs> of course, anything that you want. It was all right, Mr. laswell And he starts for the door. He turns around and he says, uh, by the way, Mr. Lasfogel, you're not Jewish, are you? There's a long pause. Lasfogel said, not necessarily, Mr. Gable. That's great. None of that is true. None of that is true. I once went to a party, opening night of a streetcar named Desire in Los Angeles was the first great Hollywood party I was ever to, ever attended. Uh, Streetcar was produced by Louis B. Mayer's daughter, Irene Selznick. And uh, the opening night party was at, I I still have the telegram, by the way, about a 50-word telegram from Louis B. Mayer. Wow. Asking, asking me to attend. Would I attend? So I went out to the party. We played downtown at the Biltmore Theater, and the Biltmore Hotel is gone now. This is 1949, and I drove out with Tony Quinn and Mary Welsh, who played uh, the Stella. So we drove out together, and uh, to the house in Beverly Hills.
3: And uh,
1: it was something. I mean, everybody in Hollywood was there because it was Louis B. Mayer's daughter. And she had been treated badly by David O. Selznick, who ran off with Jennifer Jones. And every, everybody was knocking themselves out to, to let her know they loved her. And it was right after the wedding of... Uh, of uh, Rita Hayworth and and, and uh, who did she marry?
0: Uh, come
1: on, Orson Welles.
2: Orson Welles, for what? No, but
1: after that. The, oh God! Well, what, the the prince or uh, oh, you know, uh, uh, what was his name? Uh, Ali Khan. Ali Khan, thank you very much. And everybody had just come back, and well, not everybody, but but uh, Hedda Hopper and uh, and and uh, the fat lady, <clears throat> Luella Parsons. Thank you, God. What would I do without you, Frank? <laughs> <laughs> I got a book sitting here. You know, you, you know, you're no good at all. I can't remember your name. <laughs> oh, 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 yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> Gilbert. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, at any rate, it was just wonderful because I saw Gable. You know, at coming over, bring plates over to to her, and she's saying, you know, the food here can't compare to the food at Ali Khan's and Rita's wedding. She was really a uh, 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 terrible, terrible slob, <laughs> and, but it was, it was wonderful to see all these people. and I remember, I was standing, and I I, I found myself standing next to. Uh, to uh, Louis V. Mayer who was in front of a, a painting of himself about 7 feet high he <laughs> wow. was not and uh, I said uh, he had paintings all over marvelous paintings by Grandma Moses and I said I love these paintings of Grandma Moses he said yeah my decorator paints good <laughs>
0: Now, now, Luella Parsons and Hedda Hopper were, like... They hated the, each other. Yeah, and they were both the queens of gossip. They, they were owned so
1: powerful, it. they could make or break a career if you, if you, if you behaved badly to them.
0: So, like, actors and producers would, like, bow down to them like royalty back then at parties, I heard.
1: <laughs> Gable fed her all night. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was very strange to me. It was
0: now, a good party though. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast, but first a word from our sponsor. Now can we just go through a list of a tiny group of people that you uh worked for worked with? Um, okay, like Frederick March. I just loved
1: working with him. He was a great actor and a great guy. I did uh, Enemy of the People, an Arthur Miller play, out of uh, Arthur Miller's adaptation of a Ibsen play.
0: Uh,
1: wonderful, wonderful man. A lot of fun. Great ladies' man.
0: And Lauren Bacall. Go, go on. Keep going.
1: <laughs> no, that's not just... <laughs> She and I became good friends it was It was tough for me to work with her when I worked with her. We did cactus flower together because jason robards she was married to Jason and the marriage was ending, and Jason was my best friend and she took it out on me occasionally and jason i i but we really she it was she was suffering he was tough to be married to, and uh, she was tough to be married to. But it was, as it turned out, we we really did become good friends later on, after the show was over.
0: And uh, Jeff Bridges? He's a honey. (laughs) He's a honey. Jeff is a lovely, lovely honey man.
1: Yeah, Yeah. he's terrific. I did uh, Jagged Edge with him. I like that picture very much. Yeah, I do, too. He was marvelous in it.
0: And you were in...
1: By the uh, way... I didn't mean to knock Betty because I oh he, yeah she was having a tough time with Jason and he he was not an easy he was never home
0: and yes. uh you you were in a great film uh, uh my oh what oh geez which Gene Hackman oh Melvin I, I, ne- I never sang for my father. I never sang for my father yeah. yes
1: I did that when I was in New York I had a small part. And <laughs> Gene was a good friend of mine. We both lived up in Nyack for a while, and used to commute to the theater together. And he's a—I think he's one of my favorite actors,
0: Gene Hackman.
1: But also in that play, in that screenplay was Melvin Douglas, who was so brilliant he would have won an Academy Award except they cut a scene which we did because um, they didn't realize that the. People in the scene were—they um, uh, um, were—it was in an old person's nursing home, and they were in bad shape. They were in, in the hallway in wheelchairs, and they were drooling. And and uh, the the guy who went a guy went around getting uh, clearances had them sign papers, and they were not entitled to sign them. They were had been committed, and then they were. Their children didn't want the picture, didn't oh, want people yeah. to see them in that shape. And it was the, I'm showing him around this place saying, uh, you know, it's its really a very nice place. And he didn't want to go, but the children wanted to put him in this home. And I, I say, you know, we have a lot of uh, Christmas. We have decorations. And uh, I'm the manager of this nursing home. And people are grabbing him and, uh, you know, going, grabbing him and pulling at him, and he finally turns to me, and he grabs me, and he slams me against the wall, lifted me up, and slammed me against the wall and said, I'm not like them! And he ran out. Ran out. Just dropped me and ran out. And I've always thought if that scene had been in, he would have gotten the Academy Award for that. Not because of me, but just because the the, the power of that and what he did with it.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and I, it's a good picture, very good. It was Gil Kate's first picture. Yeah,
0: yeah, I like that picture. And you worked with both uh, Robert Redford and Dustin <laughs> Hoffman in all the President's Men.
1: I also worked with Bob. Uh, Re- I knew Bob Redford for a long time, and Dustin Hoffman was in
3: uh,
1: a play called "A Cook for Mister General" that I did. Uh, he 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 had a he had a no-speaking part. He was like an extra in it, and he created a character in this prison camp that was so extraordinary, you couldn't take your eyes off him. Uh, Redford, I knew for, when he was first starting out, he was in Iceman Cometh, a production that Jason made, Jason Robard's career, and he played the young boy almost an impossible part to play. Well, I've never seen it played well, except by him, the boy whose mother, I think he's killed his mother. And, uh, he's talking to, uh, the anarchist
0: about it. Just a, an impossible part to play. And what was Al Pacino like?
1: Well, I like Al. I've known him. I knew him when he was a young man, uh, when he was first starting out. And I did, uh, I did any given Sunday with him. I like Al. He's very, he's a terrific actor and he's very professional. He doesn't waste too much time chewing the rag. He works hard all the time, uh, but I like him. I respect him, and he's he's warm and 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 uh, he's huggable, <laughs> like Gilbert. <I>, <laughs> ben Gazzara is one of my favorites. Oh, go ahead. I saw Ben last night at a thing on Turner Classic Movies. About it was a, a takeoff. On, late at night last night, it was a takeoff, and they were doing Christmas carols. And this was the takeoff on the Christmas Carol modern, put on NBC. Not the Christmas carol. Yes, yes, the Christmas Carol. Uh, NBC sixty four. It was only shown once because the government hated it so. Sterling Hayden played a, a major industrialist selling arms and things like that as Scrooge and not caring about anybody else, and he's taken on trips.
2: Uh, this is blowing my mind. J- Sterling Hayden and Ben Gazzara in a modern retake on
0: Christmas Carol. That's,
1: wow! And, <laughs> and, and and why, why and, don't we know about this? And Eva Marie Saint. Wow! Oh
0: my God! What a and cast! Steve
1: Lawrence was marvelous in it, and Peter Sellers. Wow!
2: <laughs> we have to find this.
1: Well, it was on last night. Now, you were I was knocked out by it. It should be shown. It really should be shown. It's a terrific thing. And Ben, I, I've known Ben since he... I knew Ben. I met Ben when he was about... how oh, about 17 years old. We were doing a an illegal production at the actor's studio of... of um, Catcher in the Rye. And... Uh, we and Ben was Ben was a kid, and we used him exactly the guy with the green teeth. And uh, just it was a wonderful production, which we, because Anne wanted to we were doing it at midnight. A lot of us who were in Broadway shows got together and decided to do it. And uh, it was actually, I think Ben said told me recently, before he died, he said, "I'm told you something you never knew." I found the I decided I found the material and took it to the studio and they they kind of screwed me out of playing the lead uh but Anne wanted to film it Catcher her in the rye Yes that's we interesting we were doing these performances at midnight and a uh, huge cast of Barbara Baxley, Joe Van Fleet, Gene
0: Sachs. God, it was
2: Joe Van Fleet. There's a name you you don't hear (laughs) too often, Gilbert.
0: Oh, and and you worked at least twice. Uh, Once in China Syndrome and another in Streets of San Francisco. Oh, and Wall Street. Michael Douglas. Yeah, uh, yeah, Michael Douglas. Yes, and Wall Street. He was a little
1: boy. (laughs) His mother, when she divorced Kirk, married my best friend, Bill Darrodt, who was in my class at the neighborhood class? I met him in 1940. He was my lifelong friend, and uh, uh, no. And, and when 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 she divorced Kirk and went married Mike, uh, married Bill. They lived in Westport, and uh, he lived with them in the winter, of course, with his brother Joel. And I, I taught Michael to drive. Oh, that's great stuff. <laughs> I had, a, uh, I had a Mark IV Jaguar, 1948 Jaguar, which he fell in love with. It was a great car.
0: And how was how, how he to work with? Because now it seems three times you worked with him, at least. Michael is wonderful to work
1: with. He's an absolutely pure actor who knows how to conduct his business life. Uh, he's just smart. He's, listen. He learned from his father. His father's one of the smartest men in the business. His father was one of the first people to first actors to have a business, have a his own studio, his own uh, company, Burna Productions.
0: Did you know Kirk Douglas at all? Yeah, Kirk doesn't like me. No. <laughs> How could he not
1: like you, James? You're a charmer. It's easy if you are a, a man as powerful as Kirk who, who, uh, I don't know, uh, I know that when at one point, Joel was kind of running away and came to live with me in New York. Uh, My wife, Alba, and I had a a beautiful apartment on 57th Street, and Joel moved in for a while. I think Kirk resented it. He'd never been very nice to me.
2: Well, now you you mentioned. A, oh, I just want to go back a step.
1: You he's mentioned, a great actor. He is. He's a great producer. He's everything, but he's not a great friend to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you mentioned Ilya Kazan, so let's just take one step back and ask about Kazan and and Brando. Was the one name we left out?
1: Well, I loved Marlon. I just loved him. He was, you know, when Marlon, when when Streetcar was such a hit, <clears throat> Marlon wanted to to have an affair with. Billy Holiday. He was nuts about Billy Holiday. So she was. Fifty Second Street was the jazz street. Sure. And Billy was playing there, and Marlon rented a house on Fifty Second Thirty Seven West Fifty Second Street. To be near her, he knew that he. He knew that he had a better chance if he lived near a place where she might stop by for a drink. And it was a big house. It was like 25 feet wide, 60 feet deep. And he only wanted the parlor floor. So he said, you know, anybody who wants to move in can move in. I, I You know, I'm just there. I've rented the house. I don't need it. And a bunch of us moved in. Mary Welsh, who later played Stella, Uh, Maureen Stapleton, sure. uh, A crazy architect friend of his, I can't remember his name. He blew out the back of the house one time in an explosion. He was fooling around with something. (laughs) (laughs) Like that, if you can't take it with you. Yes, yeah, the fireworks. Yeah, blowing up the basement. That's right. So you all in the basement? You all lived? You all lived in this
2: apartment? You and Maureen Stapleton? We all lived in the house. In the house? Excuse
1: me. We all had rooms, wow, uh, and Wally Cox was there and it was it was wonderful. the first I knew nothing about drugs I'm a drinking man, and it was marvelous because Wally and Marlon put a tent in his living room, and they used to go in there and smoke coyote. <laughs> And and it was, uh, the smell of it was entrancing. But the house was extraordinary because you cannot imagine what it was like with Marlon. He could not enter the front of the house. There were 30 women on the stoop. It was a big, tall stoop to the parlor floor. They were lined up. Everybody, yeah. and were, every woman in America was trying to get to Marlon. And most of them... Got to him. But, <laughs> but not Billy Holiday. But if Marlon wanted to come home, he went into a house on 53rd Street. Uh, the, you know, they were all brownstones, old brownstones, and a lot of them were actors' homes, uh, um, uh, boarding houses for actors. And right across from the Museum of Modern Art, because the rehearsal club was across the street, a place for young women, young actresses to live, So they're all so Marlon would walk in the front door of, of say, 44 West 53rd Street, walk through the house, go out the back way across and jump over a couple of fences and get to 37 and come in the back way.
0: Now, you the Marlon Brando story uh, reminds me you worked with one of Brando's co-stars, Rod Steiger, in a play.
1: We don't talk ill of the dead.
0: <laughs> 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 so you won't tell anyone? I worked,
1: yep. I worked with Marlon's sister all my life. I loved her, Jocelyn Brando, who created the role of the nurse, the only female part in Mr. Roberts. She was a darling, darling woman. I loved her. And Ob and I were in Europe when she died, And when we came home, we found the most marvelous letter I've ever received from her. And she wrote it the day before she died, telling us what we meant to her.
2: That's a nice wow. It's a nice story.
1: Wonderful. Isn't it time to get off the phone?
2: Oh, pretty soon. You had enough of us, James?
1: Say what? Have you had enough of us? No, I'm just. uh, I need another drink. I'm. I'm <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, now we've already discussed Brando, Frederick March, Gene Hackman, and Dustin Hoffman. Now let's get. You worked with Scott Bayo in Charles. Oh? Scott Bayo <laughs> in Charles in Charge. Boy, that runs the gamut. From Brando to Bayo.
1: Oh, he's a great kid. He's a great kid. He directed some of those *Charles in Charge*s. I did a lot of them. Uh, um, Burton, uh, who, who produced it, was a friend of mine, and uh, I did a lot of them. And I loved working with Scott. And also the other kid.
3: Oh, Willie uh, Ames. Willie
1: Ames. Who? Willie,
3: Willie Ames. Ames. <laughs> It
1: again.
0: Me and me and Frank screaming out. Willie Ames. In Willie Ames. Yeah. He
1: darling boy. I I'm, I don't know what's happened to him. I worry about him. He didn't know how to protect himself. A uh, 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 Scott Bio had a father, Mario. Yeah, Mario, who really was tough and protected him, but Scott was. Um, uh, um, 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 Scott Pyle is a great director. I love being directed by him. Oh. We had a lot of fun.
2: Oh, that's wow. Well, so, while we're on the subject of some of those shows, real quick, James, and we'll wrap it up. But I, Gilbert and I printed out your, we told you before, we got on the air, your IMDb pages. Insane. And it's just, I just want to really quickly, if you'll indulge me for a second, read off some of these.
1: I never turned a job down. <laughs>
2: maybe, maybe, maybe a last anecdote or something will pop into your head. But this is what I was reading to Gilbert and, and Dara when I got here. Car fifty four. Where are you, all my children? Starsky and Hutch, the Waltons, Streets of San Francisco, Bionic Woman, McMillan and Wife, Police Woman, Hawaii Five O, The Rockford Files, One Day at a Time, Lou Grant, Trapper John, M.D., MASH, Dallas, Quincy, The Jeffersons, Amazing Stories, Two Two Seven, Webster, Moonlighting, Cheers, Dynasty. Little House on the Prairie, family ties, Highway to Heaven, Murphy Brown, MacGyver, The Golden have, Girls, Sledgehammer, Coach, Larry Sanders Show. I loved you on that show.
1: Oh, I loved doing that show. He was great to work with. You know, you
3: Gary It, was, Chan. it
1: really wasn't a script. Uh, there was a Comedia del Arte arrangement of of ideas, and uh, I remember once we were playing a scene where. We're, we have a meeting. He wanted to have a meeting, and he wanted it at the bottom of a stairwell. And I walked down to the bottom of the stairwell. It was a real stairwell in the in the place. And I I turned to him and I said, "Smells like urine here." And bang it was in the script. You know, it was just, <laughs> any, any, anything that he loved lines
0: like that. And and tell me uh, one of my favorite shows. Uh, Car 54, where are you?
1: You know, I can barely remember doing that. Early that in was, your career. That was a long time ago. And I don't think I had much of a part. I, oh, okay. I think, I think the thing was called... Oh. Um, uh, there was a ca- parrot in it. 19, it parrot. 1962,
2: according to and, uh, and our we
0: sources. Sh- we should mention two things I have to get to. Well, obviously, you were in Poltergeist but you uh, are in yes. two of the return of the living dead movies well the first one was
1: just a wonderful film it, it 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 has real legs there i still most of the mail i get is about return of the living dead uh the the one that uh, uh, <coughs> was Dan O'Bannon written, Pardon Dan O'Bannon Dan O'Bannon wrote it and directed it Toby Hooper, who was my one of my favorite directors, was supposed to direct it, but got, and hired me, but then he got caught up in uh, uh, Life Force in London. They were way behind, and they couldn't wait. They had the money, and they had to go. So they let they they let uh, Dan direct it, and uh, it was a wild run.
0: Yeah, they did two of those.
1: Yeah, well, they did more than that. They did three or four. I did the first two.
2: You were Frank. Uh, that was your character's name.
1: The first one. Yeah. What about the second one?
2: Don't remember. I, re- I re- It had nothing... We should point out to our listeners, too, that th- these pictures had nothing to do with George Romero's version. Nothing. We were of Night spoofed. Of the
1: right. We spoofed George's, George Romero's, and he was lovely about it, by the way. He was charming about it. And uh, uh, it was... Uh, they were great fun to
0: do. And, and in one of the films you set yourself on fire.
2: I think it's in the first one. You become a zombie and you and you you, you. I, did.
1: I cremated myself. You
0: my cremate yourself. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, because I didn't want to I'll tell you why. Because the last ten minutes of the picture yes. they had me running around in the rain and I didn't want to do it. So I went to I went to uh, the director in the morning and I said, listen, uh, I've got a great idea. How about if I cremate myself that I don't want to be a zombie anymore? And he said, oh, uh, how would you do that? And I said, well, I'm in the scene where the guy lights up the crematorium machine. I said, all you got to do is go back and just one shot Of me with Tommy against the wall. It can be any wall, and I say, "That's not so tough. I could do that for Christ's sake." (laughs) And I said, "Then you show me going in and and It's a very good scene, and oh, you the music in it is wonderful. Burn, baby, burn. Oh
0: yeah. Did you told me a story? You were doing a movie, Hard Bodies
1: sorry. Out of respect for my own self-respect and my wife, who's in it, I will not discuss hard bodies. <laughs> That's where he draws the line. It was the best twelve weeks of our lives. <laughs> we we're in Greece.
0: Just was- tell us how you got the extras. That story.
1: Well, we were we were shot. A lot of it was shot on the beaches in Greece, and. Uh, at one point, early on, we noticed that there were a lot of Swedish, Norwegian, Danish girls on the beach next to us where we were shooting, and they were all there, uh, uh, topless. And they were quite beautiful, absolutely gorgeous girls. So my me being the eldest person on the set, I was elected to go over. I didn't want to go over and... Con- I didn't want to talk to those <laughs> girls.
0: <laughs> but being a I professional. Went
1: over, I went over and said,
0: listen, ladies,
1: we're shooting a movie over here. Yeah, we see that. Like, uh, uh, how, how would you like to, uh, uh, would you want to move over to our beach and not sit here? Move over to our Well, we don't, we don't have to put no clothes on. We don't know. We wanna we wanna get the rays. You don't want no marks. I said, No, 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 no. Not have to put anything on. Just come over and lie on our beach and you get fifteen bucks a week. A day. Oh yeah, that's good. We're cleaning bilge and boat for less than that. So they moved over to our beach and uh we have the most beautiful extras you've ever seen, nude, <laughs> and it was it was a wonderful shoot. And they were great girls. A lot of them still write to us. We still correspond with with number eleven and number twelve. <laughs> Under that. ten, we didn't even bother with.
0: So, so James Karen bordering on porn producer. <laughs> That's right. <Yes. laughs> now. James, we're gonna uh, start wrapping it up, and plus Thank we
1: God, you, I'm you,
3: tired. Can have
2: some more, James. Elderly
1: gentlemen for Christ's sake. <laughs> I'm
2: hacking my way out of it. James, your career has run the gamut. I, I don't, I, I don't From know
1: A to B. If, well,
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's another person alive who's worked with both, both Buster Keaton and Willie Ames.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that covers it. Billy Ames loved Buster Keaton. Did he? He loved me he here one time. He brought me a present. He was a pipe smoker. And I showed him my father's pipe. I told him about my father's pipe. And my father had a great pipe which I own, which he left me with a with his hammer from work. That's all he had. He had he left me a cigar box with his hammer a special hammer for opening crates. He worked in the produce market and his pipe. That's all he left me. So I showed it to Willie, and he just loved it. He just loved it. And uh, how did I start this story? I can't remember. Uh,
2: Something about Buster Keaton, him loving Buster Keaton.
1: Oh, and he saw the hat. Buster's hat. And he went absolutely crazy. He just loved him. And you won the Buster Award. Yes, I did. Thank you. Thank you. I did. Uh, we have there's the Buster Keaton annual over 20 years now in uh, Iola, Kansas, uh, where Buster was born outside of about eight miles away in Peakway. They were on a split week and his mother stopped in Peekway, which, it was really a small town. doesn't even exist anymore, just the railroad station, which is dead, too. And uh, she had the baby in a house with a midwife. Father went on, and she joined the act three days later.
0: And your your family was, well, like, struggling, weren't they? Uh,
1: struggling for air? Well, uh, uh, no,
0: uh, money-wise.
1: Yes, of course. We, we I, I lived through the Depression. Yes. Uh, my father had been very wealthy and lost everything. My father had been a bootlegger and had made a great deal of money and a great deal of whiskey and gin and uh, something, a whiskey, gin, and I guess he made wine. And he uh, he, he was a great bootlegger everybody loved him everybody liked his stuff and when Prohibition ended uh, by that time he had lost everything in the stock market of 29 because he didn't understand it but everybody went into the market because they they didn't uh, uh, nobody understood it but all these guys who couldn't read or write were making money and in the stock market not understanding of course when the market broke they were all broke and uh, my father, the uh, prohibition a- ended, and my father uh, went to work as a laborer in a produce market.
2: It's a real journey, James. I mean, here you are as a child taking your father to movie theaters to learn, to, to read subtitles, and you go on to make 80 films, over 80 films in your career.
1: I'm sorry my father didn't see any of them. Yeah. <laughs> Or my mother what what would oh, they what would
2: they have thought what, what would they have thought I mean would they have been absolutely amazed that you, that remember, you uh, they, yeah.
1: my, 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 both my mother and father were delighted I was becoming an actor because that would mean they could, I would go to Hollywood and 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 uh, have a big house and a swimming pool sunken
0: onyx now, now, so both your, par- your parents never really got to see your success. No.
1: No, my father saw me on television. My mother died young. My father saw me on television, and I was on a soap, and he got confused. He was elderly, and he got confused, and he thought it was real, and he thought everybody knew that I was a bad guy. <laughs> Money and he called me and I went to see him and he said
3: everybody knows you're going to go to jail <laughs> wow gotta, this
1: boy you got to stop this everybody knows he just didn't it was I felt so bad there no way I could clear it up
0: <laughs> now did you have any experience with the House of Un-American Activities
1: oh yes I I tell you the truth, I cannot go into that. It's just too far. It's just too. It's everything is too. It's too painful, and I just don't want to go into it. It has to do with my first wife, and I just don't want to go into it, Gilbert.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Very painful. Very painful. Uh, I many friends, and uh, it's ugly. It's awful. It was a bad, bad time, and a lot of friends. We're hurt, and a lot of people, a lot of friendships ended. It's so ugly, and I just don't want to go into it in a casual way on the
2: Yeah, and heaven knows this interview's been painful enough, James. (laughs)
1: Listen, knowing Gilbert is is a chore.
0: (laughs) Tell me about it. (laughs) Well, thank you. We've been talking to... The great James Caron, one of the greatest of the, oh, that guy actors, who has a ridiculous, ridiculous resume. of How about mo- memory? Yeah, and that too. <laughs> that too, <Impressive>. yes. <laughs> uh, of movies,
2: You remembered remember the address of Brando's place on 52nd Street. Wow. We're going to go over there
3: now.
1: Yeah, movies, television. I, I bet it's not down. Da- I bet it's down. Thirty-seven oh, yeah.
2: West Fifty Second. Oh, we re- skyscrapers we- there now. Oh, well, that's too bad. Cook Shore was
1: right nearby. I, well.
2: So,
0: and I only wish we had been recording this. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm kind of happy that you weren't. Makes you look really lousy. <laughs> anyway, we've been talking to the great actor James Karen. I'm Gilbert Gottfried, here with my co-host, Frank Santopadre, and this has been Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. Good
1: night, Dara. Good night, Dara.
2: (laughs) James, thanks for doing this. It was a real treat.
1: Pleasure. I hope we meet Frank.
2: I hope so. Uh, I would love that.
1: You want to meet me ever again? No, I never want to see you again, Gilbert. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, James. And good night to you from Hollywood. (laughs) This is Cecil B. DeMille. Good night to you from Hollywood.
0: (laughs) Great. Thank you, James. Good
3: night, gentlemen.
0: Thank you.